Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello and welcome to the Animal Files podcast, the place where we expose the truth, the science, and the spirituality of pet care. And today, we have some harsh truths that we want to talk about. And to preface the episode, I've got a couple questions that I want you to think about. Should anyone have a pet if they want one? Is everyone capable of caring for a pet and meeting their needs? What do you think about humans being trained as pet owners? Well, you may be thinking that all that's ridiculous and that it's not difficult to know how to look after a companion animal. Or, I've been taking care of pets my whole life. I don't need to answer those questions. Well, if you have been listening to our episodes for a while, you probably realized there's a lot more to think about than meets the eye. And if you are new to our podcast then keep listening to find out why untrained humans can cause fear in pets. And yes, you heard that right. If you are an untrained human trying to take care of a animal, you may be causing more problems within your animal, whether it be behavior issues, whether it be health issues, whatever it is, you could be causing that. So Miranda, What exactly defines an untrained human and why does that matter so much? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe people will be able to resonate with these when they hear them. But at the same time, some of you might be thinking, well, none of that is me or none of that applies to me. But hang on, we'll go into it a little bit more (laughs) deeply so that you can (laughs) get a better idea. Yep. And you may learn something about yourself today (laughs) on top of that. (laughs) So first thing that can define an untrained human is someone who might be more concerned with what they want than what their pet actually needs. So this can include whether they train their animal or not, and what type of training they use, what type of tools they use the routines that they create for their pets or don't create, the environment that is provided or not provided, and trying to enforce behaviors in their pets without allowing their pets to have their own instinctual behaviors. Yes. Like we've said a few times in the last few months, a cat needs the cat and a dog needs the dog. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you have to allow whichever animal you have to have space to be who they are, what species they are, what breed they are, and to accept them just like you would accept another human for who they are. You need to accept your animal for their limitations and also the things that they might want to bring to the relationship because that's basically what you're doing. You're creating a relationship and a relationship has to go two ways. It can't just go one way. So 
<laughs> let's, <laughs> let's continue with the conversation because there may be a lot of a lot of things going on. People are like, what, what, what? <laughs> Questions abounding. <laughs> Another thing that an untrained human might do, well, not do, but kind of unconsciously their behaviors will reflect this belief is that they might believe that all cats and dogs are equal and should be treated exactly the same way. So for example, you might've had a dog and you get a new dog and you do the exact same things with this new dog as you did with another dog you already have or with a dog you had previously. And how this expectation that you're going to have the exact same experience and the exact same results. <laughs> Newsflash, chances are you're not. <laughs> <laughs> An untrained human may also, and this kind of goes back to the first point that we talked about. They may not consider the personalities, the traumas, the sensitivities, the individualities, well, that's kind of the personalities, <laughs> etc., of each of their pets. They may also not recognize that their own behaviors, stress levels, etc., their energies and that may also be affecting their pets. Someone who has not been trained or has a lack of understanding also will likely not correctly interpret or are unable to interpret all of their pet's communication. So this includes their body language, their behaviors, their vocalizations, and there could be a tendency to address these humanizing kind of way, meaning that we place our own human understanding of how we interact with other humans onto our pets. And very often incorrect think that a certain behavior or a certain vocalization is them being quote unquote bad or misbehaving mm -hmm. when in fact they're not they're just doing what they know and an untrained person wouldn't understand that very well mm -hmm. and the last point we want to bring to your attention is that an untrained human may not know how to safely effectively and compassionately know how to interact with or handle their pets when they're on walks, when they're around other people, or in various other situations during training, or even when they just display certain behaviors. They just don't know how to respond to them. And so there's a lot of people who will react to their pet's communication, essentially, because they don't understand. And so a trained human will learn how to respond to it rather than react to it and be able to address it. Yeah. And I want to add just a little bit. If you're one of those people that right now is getting your hackles all ruffled and you're getting upset that, well, this is the way I've always done it. This is the way I've been taught to do it. Well, that's your ego. And sorry to tell you, but if you are getting your hackles in a bunch because of some of these things we just said, 
then you need to listen because it's your ego that's causing the problem and your pet is probably suffering because of it. Again, I said harsh truths are coming at you today. (laughs) (laughs) So you need to make sure that when you are dealing with your animal, your ego is gone and you start to work with your animal, not make your animal do something, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, we really want to think of our relationship with our pets as a partnership, Yeah, not as, you know, we're better than them, or we're smarter than them, or we should have control of them. Because that's not a relationship. Yeah, no master servants here when it comes to animals. And I know a lot of people, and there's a lot of old teachings out there that have been teaching that you need to be the alpha or you need to be the master of your animals and, you know, humans. And that goes back to Bible. We have dominion over the animals. Well, that does not mean what you think it means. So, (laughs) and we're here to tell you the truth here. (laughs) So let's talk a bit about why these particular things that we just mentioned can create fear in our pets. Mm -hmm. Well, As we've mentioned before in other episodes, and we touched on a little bit already today, pets do actually have different temperaments, personalities, and they may have various past traumas, especially if they are a rescued animal. So what does this mean? This means that these aspects can cause the reactions to human behaviors to vary. It can cause them to behave in a variety of ways to any external stimuli that they receive. You can have some dogs and cats that can be naturally more confident and less prone to fear, while others can be a lot more sensitive and less able to adapt to loud sounds, their environment, and our actions. And that goes even not just from individual animals, but individual breeds. Some breeds have been bred throughout the years to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if you just think this dog is going to be like any other dog and you get a special breed, that's another place where you need to remove your ego and look at your animal for who they are Mm -hmm. at their level, not what you expect them to be. So when we show certain behaviors around our animals or display certain types of body language, our pets may perceive it as threatening or intimidating. So it doesn't matter if that's not what we intend, because we have to keep in mind that what our animals experience, how our animals experience their world is not necessarily going to be the same as us. But even if you think about it just with humans, you can have two humans have the exact same experience and perceive it in completely different ways. Mm -hmm. Some people can be completely unaffected by the experience and other people can feel extreme trauma with it and carry it with them for many years or the rest of their lives. So our pets may react to loud or aggressive gestures or tone of voice, sudden movements, direct eye contact, or when we loom over them, that can be considered threatening because in the animal world, that is often a threatening gesture amongst the other animals. So they're not going to respond very positively to that most of the time. Mm -hmm. If you do misunderstand your animal's communications or mishandle them, you can end up creating a negative response. 
So this is one I think you need to pay attention to because this is something a lot of people I think have difficulty with is understanding how to interact with their pets. And I think this is kind of where that control thing kind of comes in because, you know, for cats or small dogs, a lot of people are like, well, if I want to pick them up, I'm going to pick them up. doesn't really matter if they don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may use incorrect or negative training methods. And there's been a lot of training that has been used in the past that actually creates fear. And again, it's focusing on that control aspect. Animals have personal space, just like we do. When we invade that personal space by touching them or getting too close to them, we can end up having a negative response. Hissing, growling, barking, biting, scratching. Those can be indications that we are not respecting their personal space. Yeah, Or just backing up. If right. your dog or cat doesn't want you to be in their face, they're going to back up first. And you need to respect that. Mm-hmm. If you come in too fast or if you're looming over them and they back up, well, that's your sign that you got to slow down mm-hmm. and approach them differently or give them space to come to you mm-hmm. instead of you always having to go to them. And I just want to add that you may have a cat or a dog that loves to be picked up and loves to cuddle. But both of those animals will have moments in their day where they don't want that. Mm-hmm. So respect their space. If they back up, stop. Let them come to you. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a healthy bond with your pets, then you need to learn how to respect them rather than control them. And again, have that partnership that we talked about yeah and they like routine and predictability Mm -hmm. so if you do something that they cannot predict you're going to cause your animal to feel threatened and scared Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to react because you just did something they're not used to and that goes for animals that may not be yours or somebody else's you know you see a dog on the street and you want to go say hi to them you have to respect that dog's space even more so than your own dog's space Mm-hmm. because that's going to immediately go into the threatening and aggressive behavior in their eyes if you do something unpredictable and you go into best. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that we can 100% stop ourselves from doing unpredictable behaviors or having unpredictable experiences that could show up in your pet's life. The key is to become aware and notice how your animal is reacting to it and then knowing whether or not you need to back off or you need to change your behavior or maybe you have to remove your animal from the environment it's in. Mm -hmm. And this is a really big one because, you know, you see it on Instagram so much of the time. Too much. If you ask me. Somewhat on other social media, but I think Instagram and probably TikTok are the biggest ones for this, is when people force their pets to do certain things or do things to them for the benefit of their entertainment or for the benefit of getting likes and whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. This 
I'm gonna just gonna say it. This is a shameful thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's shameful if we do it to our children when we try to force them to do things for our entertainment. You know, we need to respect what's gonna make them feel comfortable. You know, it's different if an animal does something on its own and we can find it entertaining. That's completely different because we're not forcing anything onto them. And examples of this can be, and this is not, well, it's it's sort of entertainment, but it's sort of not. Grooming is one aspect that we can force on our pets. You know, you look at the um, the dog shows. I don't think it's the cat shows as much, but the dog shows where they have to have a certain kind of haircut or whatever in order to be accepted in the show ring, quote unquote. And we don't pay attention to how our pets are responding during that grooming session. Oh, and other grooming things that can be for our entertainment is when we do things like dye their hair or painting their toenails and things like that. That's not for their benefit. That's for our own entertainment. So when we don't work with our animal's fears or any stress that is coming up when we're doing those things, then we're not a trained human. (laughs) No, no, we're not. Dressing them up is also something that people like to do. And there's different aspects. It doesn't mean you can't put any clothing on them at all. There are practical reasons for doing it, like trying to keep them warm in cold climates, or when you're putting one of those cooling vests on to help keep them cool in warmer climates. And, you know, there are some instances where we might just put something on very briefly to get a cute picture, but we take it off right away. Yeah. That type of thing. But again, even if you were doing that, if the moment you put it on, your animal starts kind of freaking out and acting very stressed by it, it's not worth getting that picture. No, stop. Stop right there. (laughs) I've had situations, I mean, granted, I started early, but with Maisie and Frankie, they had to wear sweaters because they had the FELV. So if the temperature dropped below a certain temperature and they wanted the windows open, I had sweaters on them. So I would get cute sweaters or I would make a sweater or something like that out of cute socks or something when they were kittens, but they got used to it. Halloween come around, I would find a sweater that was Halloween or Christmas and take a picture. But if they didn't need the sweater, the window wasn't open, they weren't in the sweater, especially cats. They want to be able to groom themselves when they want to groom themselves. (laughs) They're not going to want to be in sweaters for long terms. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I started early, so they were used to it. They were used to having something on their body, so they didn't fight me they weren't stressed or anything like that but I knew that when we would get the more decorative sweaters or like a Halloween costume whatever it was just for a photo op and then it was taken off mm-hmm. and maybe if they still needed a sweater I'd put something that they were more comfortable in mm-hmm. something that would still keep them safe but wasn't for my entertainment it was for their warmth mm-hmm. and any clothing you put on them you should be mindful that it is comfortable for them that they can move around 
in them, that they're not restricted in any way and that it's not going to create restriction around their throat. Yeah. And some of these Halloween costumes that where you put the front legs in and they look like people walking. Yeah. I don't like those. Mm. Use a sweater. Use something that just goes over the back and then you can just take right off because that's restrictive. Mm -hmm. That's just really restrictive. We talk individuality. There may be some animals out there that don't care, but this is where you need to have the awareness of your animal. Mm -hmm. If your animal doesn't like it, don't do it. Because if you continue to do it and they don't like it, number one, they're going to resent you. They're going to get stressed and you may be inducing fear. Mm -hmm. Every time they see you take that out, they're going to run. That's not healthy for the animal. That's not giving them a life that they can thrive in. Right. And, you know, some of you might, as Victoria was mentioning, might be thinking, well, my pet, my dog, my chihuahua loves to dress up and loves to wear these little cute little dresses and likes to be a princess and things like that. Because I've seen lots of pictures like that. (laughs) Yep. And I want to share a story of an experience that I've had where when I was out and about a number of years ago, there was a man who would be driving around in his scooter and he had a little basket in the front of his scooter and he had a dog that would always be sitting in that basket and it would be wearing a hat. And the owner said that the dog absolutely loved wearing the hats. You know, I don't know whether animals actually love wearing certain types of clothing. I'm thinking it has more to do with what they associate it with. Mm, Good point. So with his dog, it may not be that he loves the hat, but maybe he associated with, well, when this hat gets put on me, we get to go out. Yeah. So there's a positive association with it. Yeah. And I don't know too many animals that like having things on their heads. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I've noticed. They like to have their ears free. Mm-hmm. At least that's in my experience. I've just noticed that animals just don't like hats. <laughs> so take that for what you will. Yeah. But <laughs> there are some that seem to tolerate them, though, because I remember there was a I think it was a video of a man who would take his either, I don't know if it was on a maybe it was both two different things, but taking them on a motorcycle or taking them skydiving or something like that. And they had a hat sort of like a like a kind of a helmet type thing that they would put on that was supposed to help protect, I think. Yeah, why you be taking your dog skydiving is beyond me. But But no, I I think, you know, like if it's a a protection thing, Mm -hmm. like if you are taking your dog on your motorcycle in a sidecar or if you are riding on in a bike or a scooter with your dog or your cat, make sure that they're safe mm-hmm. by all means make sure they're safe but i'm talking more of like you know these beanie hats that people put on just to put on mm-hmm. i think we talked about it once before my mom and i were driving in the car and i saw a dog sticking its head out of the window and i was getting so angry because mm-hmm. i'm like get your dog's head in and then he turned around and he was wearing goggles oh yeah <laughs> Now, those goggles were dog goggles. They were made for that. And even though I still wasn't happy that the dog's head was hanging out, at least I understood that the owner of that dog wanted to protect his eyes. Mm -hmm. And the dog was fine with it. 
you know, he was thoroughly happy putting his head out the window. I still am not a fan of that, but at least the owners were responsible enough to protect the eyes. So safety equipment, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, you still have to work with the animals, even when it's those kind of things as well, because some dogs, for example, can have a lot of issues with wearing booties on their feet because Mm -hmm. they can't feel the ground properly when they have booties on and it can create a lot of issues, but the intention behind them is to help protect their paws from hot asphalt or from chemicals or something that might be on the ground where they're walking. So ideally you want to try to introduce that kind of stuff as soon as possible, Yeah, you know, when they're young, or if you get them older, maybe just have short sessions where you just put them on for a few moments and then you take them off. And then you just try to gradually extend the length of time that they have it on to give them some time to get used to it. Conversations work too. Mm -hmm. If you have an older dog and they like to go outside, but you want to protect their feet, having a conversation, say, look, we've got these new things here from here on out. If you want to go outside during this particular time, during the winter, we're going to put these on. Yeah, sounds silly, but eventually they'll get the point and it might help you train them to wear them. Mm -hmm. So the last thing we want to talk about before we go to break, which is still coming under the entertainment aspect, is when we scare our pets intentionally in order to get a laugh. Don't do that. Do not put a cucumber behind your cat just to see the cat jump in fear. Don't do that. I know that was a trend for a while and it pissed me off. Every time I saw a video or a mix of videos of people putting cucumbers behind their cats to scare them. Don't do that. Anything that you would think would scare your cat or scare your dog, don't do it. Period. Yeah, like the things where you pretend to be dead to see how your pet is going to respond or putting on these hoods to see how your animal is going to respond. Yeah, and I saw a video of a guy walking with a cat mask scared his cats to death. Mm -hmm. They were all puffed up, arched back, hissing, growling. Don't do that stuff. That's you basically bullying your animal. It's like people who do these, these pranks on other people that cause the other person to be scared shitless. (laughs) Yeah. It's, that's not funny. It's not funny. No, it's not those kind of things. (laughs) But the only thing is humans have a logical mental function after something like that happens animals don't they may get over it pretty quick but you just gave your animal a trauma for no reason Mm. they don't have that logical like oh you just pranked me dude they're not thinking that they just saw this person who is their caretaker their friend their companion their caregiver scare them for no reason Mm -hmm. that's unpredictable behavior You do not do that to an animal. It doesn't matter what kind of animal it is. Bird, dog, cat, rat, hamster, guinea pig, horse, cow. doesn't matter. You don't do that. They do not have the mental capacity to understand that you're pranking them. They just see a human being mean. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not fair. That's not fair. I'm on a soapbox and I'm going to stand on this soapbox forever. (laughs) (laughs) Do not 
do not scare your animals on purpose. Don't do it. Just don't do it. All right. I'm still going to stay on the soapbox, but I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So when we come back after our break, we're going to go a little deeper into what we've been talking about. All right. So get ready, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready. And we'll see you in a bit. Hi everyone, we hope you've been enjoying Season 3. It's been a great couple of years so far. Miranda and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season, great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com come now that that's out of the way let's get back to the conversation and we are back so how much of that last half did you resonate with we talked about a lot of stuff we got on a bunch of soapboxes <laughs> we gave you some harsh truths <laughs> <laughs> but with all of that what we talked about are you able to see how humans views beliefs behaviors misunderstandings and not having enough information can affect the relationship and trust that you have with your animals. So let's dive in a little bit more specifically as to how an untrained human can create a negative response, distrust, and fear in their animal companions. So mm-hmm. take it away. <laughs> yeah. So first thing is rough handling. We touched a little bit on this in regards to training and interacting with your pets. If you don't have the knowledge about proper handling techniques, you may unintentionally handle your pets too roughly or forcefully. Yeah, we're not talking about rough housing because some dogs do like the rough house. Right. That's different. That's playtime. This is rough handling. They are different. So keep your ears open, guys. Mm -hmm. So when we do unintentionally handle them too roughly or forcefully, we can create physical discomfort or pain, which will lead to fear and distrust in your animal. Cats are generally more delicate than dogs and can be more easily frightened by rough handling. Untrained humans who handle cats too roughly, grab them forcefully or mishandle them can create fear and distress. And if you are roughhousing, if the animal is done, you're done. Mm -hmm. So your dog or your cat will tell you when they're done with the rough play. Mm -hmm. And if you don't listen to them, it's going to turn into a problem and you're going to cause more distrust in your animal if you don't let them lead. Mm -hmm. And an example with dogs is, for example when they're on a leash or even when they're not on a leash and you are either trying to pull them by their collar to get them to go wherever it is that you want them to go or same with your pulling on the leash to try to get them to go where you want them to go and I see this so often with dog walkers where they're I don't know on a timeline or they're just impatient or whatever the case may be the dog is trying to sniff at a tree or something like that and the owner is just like come on come on let's go 
kind of thing. Now, there are some situations where you do need to pull your dog away. Like if they're going to try to access something on the ground, that could be harmful for them. And you're trying to pull them away from it. But ideally, you want to try to train them in a way that they're more likely to respond to your cues rather than physical force. Yeah. And this is where harnesses are much better because mm-hmm. then you, if you have to use force to get them out of traffic or away from a rattlesnake or something that could be dangerous, you're mm-hmm. not hurting their throat. Mm-hmm. And if you train them properly... You know, you say no, a little bit of a, a quick jerk on the leash, on the harness, be like, oh, okay. And they will listen to you. Right. Lack of socialization is another thing that can often be an issue. There's, I think, a lot of people who don't, especially with smaller dogs, they don't focus on any kind of training or socialization. And that can be the case with some bigger dogs, too. When we take dogs to off-leash areas, I've noticed that there are definitely instances where the dogs don't know how to interact appropriately with each other. Mm -hmm. When dogs are socialized or when cats are socialized with other dogs and cats at an early age, they learn what is appropriate behavior between cats and acceptable behavior between cats as well as what is appropriate and acceptable behavior between dogs. If they don't learn this, then you could end up having one dog getting really upset and frustrated that the other dog is not paying attention to its cues, and you could end up with a dog bite. Maybe it won't necessarily go that far, but you're going to end up hearing the issues because you're going to hear yelping and you're going to hear a lot of barking. There's a difference. This is where the communication comes in. It's like there is a difference between barking and yelping and growling and stuff like that when it's done in a play form compared to when it's being done in a, I've had enough of you, get away from me. This is also something that needs to be done with people because If you have animals that only get exposed to you and your family, and then they don't have experience with other people, well, then you are going to have issues with other people that come to the door. If you take them to other environments like a grooming salon or a daycare or a kennel or any of those kinds of places, they're going to feel a lot of stress having to interact with other humans that they're not used to. Yeah, they're not going to know how to react. We've mentioned it, I don't know if it was this season, last season, multiple times in multiple seasons. I don't know. (laughs) But animals like boundaries. They thrive with boundaries. And socialization helps the animal create their own boundaries, helps them learn the boundaries of other animals, and When that happens, they're more confident because they can go into a situation and know what's good and what's not and where they might be able to flex in one area or not as a way to kind of grow and expand themselves in social situations. Without socialization, they don't know what to do. And when an animal 
doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to react, doesn't know where the boundaries are, they have a lot of stress and a lot of fears. And that's probably why you see a lot of these little dogs constantly in anxious states when they are with other animals, where they shake so much, or when Mm. they're with other people. They don't know how to behave because they weren't taught that. They don't know the boundaries between human and animal and animal to animal. So socializing your animal will definitely help your animal cope with life and be the animal they are meant to be. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and you know, when we talk about, I think we talked about it last time, maybe that little dogs can be labeled as being yappy Mm -hmm. and that behavior could very much be attributed to their feelings of anxiousness and fear. Exactly. Yeah. So when we can provide early and ongoing socialization to dogs and cats, to various environments, people and other animals, we're going to help build their confidence. Yeah. And just to expand on the cat thing, don't be having a cat saying, oh, I just let my cat do whatever it wants. You need to socialize your cat just as much as you would socialize a dog. Different circumstances, probably, but your cat needs to know that if somebody enters the house, that person's not going to come in and kill them. Mm-hmm. Don't let your cats have full range of the house without boundaries. Again, boundaries are helpful. Animals like boundaries, and they learn that when you socialize it. So if an untrained human fails to expose their cat, to different stimuli and different experience, including people, well, you're going to have a fearful cat and you're going to have a cat that is scared to be in any new situation and be completely unfamiliar and unable to cope with other people and with other animals. You have a fearful cat. So I know we talk about dogs a lot because we normally think of dogs as being the ones that you have to socialize. Well, you have to socialize cats too. And just from my experience having Maisie and Frankie, I mean, Maisie started to be socialized before she passed away, but they were pandemic cat. They didn't have the ability to be socialized. So they were so attached to me and my husband that everything scared them. And it broke my heart sometimes, especially with Frankie. Frankie didn't know how to handle anything because they weren't exposed to that. And because of the pandemic, there was no opportunity for us to expose them to things. People weren't coming into our house. They weren't being introduced to anybody. And it wasn't until Frankie passed that we decided, okay, Maisie's just going to come with us wherever we go, that she started to become socialized. And it's still I mean, we started and I don't know, it took eight months for her to even interact with another human. Mm. So socialize your cats (laughs) (laughs) is what I'm saying. (laughs) Do what you can to socialize your cat. (laughs) Another area is using punitive or forceful training methods. Now, this kind of connects back to that rough handling. Mm -hmm. Not completely. It's more of an aspect of it or the rough handling is more of an aspect of this. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are an untrained human, you may resort to punitive training techniques, such as physical punishment, yelling, 
or using averse of tools like shock collars or choke chains. You may not be aware of it, but these methods can induce fear, anxiety, and even aggression in dogs, damaging that human-animal bond that I'm assuming you'd want to have with your animal. Cats as well do not respond well to punishment or forceful training methods. When we use physical force, yelling, or other aversive techniques to discipline our cats, we can also create fear and erode that trust in the human-cat relationship. And that's such a very distinct, different relationship than a dog and a human. Cats are still pretty much close to their wild instincts. Mm -hmm. Dogs chose humans for companionship. Cats chose humans for convenience. It's much (laughs) more different. (laughs) So let's go a little bit deeper into the communication aspect. The inconsistent or unclear communication. If we don't provide consistent and clear communication to our dogs and cats, we are going to confuse them and we can create fear because we end up reacting to their behaviors as a result of them not understanding what we're trying to communicate to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we might be inconsistent with commands expectations or rules, and the dog might become anxious and fearful just simply because they feel uncertain and are unable to understand what we expect of them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if we do not establish consistent rules, boundaries, or expectations, we can confuse cats and create an environment of uncertainty, which also will lead to fear and anxiety. Yeah. Again, tell me. Animals thrive with boundaries. They like to know how to react. You can't be unpredictable. You can't just walk around unconsciously and expect your animals to go with the flow. Mm -hmm. They don't work that way. However, we also have to keep in mind that we can't create unrealistic expectations and rules of our animals. Mm -hmm. You know, just because we want something of them doesn't mean that we should expect it of them. We have to keep in mind that they are individuals. They've got their own natural instincts. They've got minds of their own. And we need to find ways to work with that. Yeah. Dogs bark. That's natural. You can't expect your dog to never bark. And if you do debarking, well, then you're an awful human. (laughs) My opinion. But... Um, and cats scratch. You will never stop a cat from scratching. Those are two behaviors that you have to work with. Mm-hmm. So diversion, diversion, diversion. Mm-hmm. Have something suitable for a cat so it ignores your couch. Have good training and behavior modifications with dogs so they can bark when they need to but not bark because they're stressed or fearful. Right. Or there's dogs who will always bark when the doorbell rings or somebody even just walks up the steps to a house and the owners can be unable to stop them because they Mm -hmm. haven't learned. But there are ways that you can work with that. It's not that you stop the barking, but as Victoria said, you use diversion. So you use some type of a training method where... I don't know, for example, maybe 
you have some kind of a, a toy or object or something like that, that only gets used with the doorbell ringing or something like that. So that when that happens, you throw that toy and they understand that, oh, okay, when you throw that, they're meant to stop barking. I don't, you know, th- that's just off that's the top one of example. my head. Yeah, just off the top of my head. There's many ways. Yeah. And there are going to be times where you're not going to want your dog to stop barking when the doorbell rings because mm-hmm. they're alerting you that something is different. Right. Something is happening. And if you keep trying to train your dog never to bark when somebody cups up in your stoop, then when you have a burglar or if you have somebody who's trying to do ill will, mm-hmm. they're not going to respond and they're not going to be the watchdog you had planned for them. Mm-hmm. So you have to work with what you got. Mm-hmm. And that goes into ignoring. You don't want to ignore those body language and those different cues that they give us all the time. So let's talk about that next. Right. So, you know, you may not be able to recognize or you misinterpret the signals that an animal might use. And dogs and cats, they communicate through their body language as well as vocalization as a way of trying to tell us what is going on for them and with them. And an untrained human may fail to recognize or misinterpret these signals. So examples of cues that a dog may display is they might start licking their lips. They may tuck their tail between their legs. And the thing is, is that we, I think most of us can recognize that if they've got their tail tucked all the way to their legs and it's basically touching their abdomen, I think most of us can recognize that the dog is scared. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's not to that point and they just might have the tail sort of hanging down and just slightly tucked between their legs. And we may not recognize that the dog is feeling fearful. They could also be cowering or growling. Growling is not necessarily a sign of aggression, although aggression is related to fear. Growling is just basically a warning saying, I'm not comfortable with whatever's going on. I'd like to either get away from the situation or have this person or dog or whatever moved away from me. Because otherwise, then I might have to go further. So when we don't pay attention to these signs, we can create an escalation of a dog's fear response and end up potentially leading to more aggressive behavior. Yep. Dogs don't just attack. There's always signs before that happens. Always. In cats, you might see behaviors such as them flattening their ears back dilating their pupils, a swishing tail, or a crouching posture, these are all indications of a cat's fear or stress. Now, we have to take it into context as well, because sometimes a cat's dilated pupils could just mean that they're excited. You see that with them playing. Yes. They're playing with their favorite toy. Mm -hmm. And same with a swishing tail they could be maybe more sort of into their hunting kind of instinct. So we have to take the context into consideration. But if we ignore these signals, again, we can escalate a cat's fear response, which can end up leading to biting, scratching, attacking behaviors, and also possibly lead to hiding or health issues. So if you've got a cat that hides a lot, you might be wanting to look at what's going on. 
because that's not yeah. normal. They shouldn't be hiding no, a lot. Not. They should feel comfortable in their space. And if they don't feel comfortable in their space, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. And you may be that reason. Mm-hmm. Or you have provided an environment that makes them feel like they have to be scared. Again, back to the untrained human. Yeah. If you just think that's normal, then you're an untrained human. Yeah. I remember looking after a, a cat a number of years ago. The cat didn't know me before I started looking after it. And every time I went there, the cat was nowhere to be seen. It was hiding somewhere. I looked as many places as I could. I could never find the cat. So I had no idea whether the cat was okay or not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to have somebody come in and look after your animal, it's important to either prevent play, well, probably a kind of a combination, prevent your animal from being able to access areas where people are not going to be able to find them, Mm -hmm. but also look at the possible reasons why they might be hiding in the first place. Yeah. It sounds to me like the person who was the owner of that cat never socialized the cat Mm -hmm. and just let the cat do whatever she felt cats did. Right. I say that kind of in a sarcastic quote fashion. (laughs) Now this next part in some ways sounds like it contradicts what we just said that an untrained human might not provide enough safe spaces or hiding spots for their pet. Now, let's clarify that because providing a hiding spot compared to them finding their own hiding spot are two very different things. When they find a hiding spot, like cats particularly can be very good at this because they can get into really small spaces. So, you know, maybe you've got a basement that is crammed full or something, or they've got little cracks and crevices and places and that they might find their way into those kinds of places. Or maybe there's some kind of attic or someplace in a home where there's some kind of an opening that you maybe haven't really noticed. So then when you want to find your cat for some reason, you're not going to have any idea where to look. You're not going to know where they're hiding. When we create a hiding spot for them, we're designating a specific area and we're training them that this is a safe place where you can go if you feel unsafe or uncertain or whatever. And we know where those areas are. So this could be things like creating sort of a little den area in the living room or in some other area of the home that is maybe quieter and there's less traffic and noise that might happen in those places. Yeah, I call it cat proofing and then providing intentional hiding spots. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You cat proof the home so there's no small places where they can go into. And then you can choose some areas like when I had Maisie and Frankie, their favorite spot when they were really, really little was underneath the radiator in the living room. We couldn't see them, but we knew there was only like four inches for them to go. Mm. They weren't going to go very far. And the back of the couch. And that was actually, as they got bigger, that was their spot. We knew where it was. We couldn't get at them easily. So they felt like that was their hiding spot. That was where they went (laughs) when their world went upside down. Let's go behind the couch. But we allowed that space because we knew they couldn't go anywhere we could find them if we needed to Mm -hmm. if we had to pull out the couch we could you know it was that was the one place and that was 
the way our house is built. But they had places in every room that they could go and hide if they needed to. We made sure that they had those spots. Mm-hmm. You know, it was intentional hiding spots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every animal you have, every pet that you have, whether it's a cat, a dog, a guinea pig, a bird, they need to have a safe and secure space where they can retreat to and feel protected. So with a bird, maybe if, if you keep the bird in a cage all the time, which I don't think is really fair, but if you keep them in a cage all the time, I don't know if there are things that are available for cages that they can kind of go into and sort of hide in. There are some things. You can are get there? little okay. boxes. Um, most of the time they're nesting boxes, but they do have that. And they also have these, my bird never liked it because my bird was weird. Um, it was a rescue. It was a rescue kind of feral, but they have these kind of um, hammocks, these furry hammocks that they could go into and nest into if they needed to. Mm. So there are things on the market. You know, it's not like you have available to you with cats. Even Same with dogs. There's not a lot of places that you can create for dogs. I mean, unless you like repurpose a piece of furniture, or right. put a crate in, a, in another room that they can go to when they need to, but they're out there. Mm-hmm. And then you can always get creative if you have, you know, smaller animals like birds and rats and stuff like that. Well, rats and hamsters and those types of animals, you can always get little, little igloos and stuff like that, that you can put in their cages. Right. Yeah. There's something for everyone. You just have to know where to look and how to be creative if necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, if we don't provide these safe spaces and designated hiding spots or intentional hiding spots for our animals, then we can contribute to them feeling threatened, fearful, anxious, scared, overwhelmed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We mentioned this earlier on, that unpredictable behavior is something that can create fear. And this is not just how you behave or somebody or another person behaves, but dogs and cats thrive on routine and predictability. So if you are inconsistent with your actions, your emotions, your reactions, or even with how you, well, this kind of goes with the actions. If, you know, you change the times that you feed them or you change the times that you take them for a walk and you're not consistent with that, that can also be considered unpredictable behavior. And any of these things helps to create an unpredictable environment that is going to breed fear and anxiety in your pets. Yeah, don't give your dog food from the table one day and then yell at them for begging the next. Stop. Mm. Just you're causing the problem. You know, just because you're having a bad day, don't change the rules on them. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a good day, don't break all the rules for them. They, (laughs) They like boundaries. They like rules. They like to know what's expected from them. And they like to expect something from you. They like the predictability. They know that. And you'll notice that there are some dogs that and cats, if they're close to their humans, they can tell their humans on the way home five miles away from the house. Like Mm -hmm. they know their human is five miles away. 
because of the predictability. They thrive on that. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that we're going to go into a bit more detail of is loud or sudden noises. Cats in particular are very sensitive to loud or sudden noises. And if you create noisy or chaotic environments, you can scare your cats. So some examples of these that can include shouting, slamming doors, or playing loud music. Some dogs, not all dogs, but some dogs can also be very sensitive to loud, sudden noises, things like fireworks or thunder. And they can become very fearful or stressed if you don't know how to support them. So these are just some examples that highlight situations where untrained humans who lack understanding and sometimes knowledge can inadvertently cause fear in their pets. But there's things that they can do. So what can they do? Wrap this all up and help these untrained humans help their beloved animals. (laughs) (laughs) So you can choose to educate yourself about responsible pet ownership positive training methods, and animal behavior to help to ensure a safe and a harmonious relationship with your pet. It's also important for you to understand and respect a dog and a cat's boundaries, provide positive reinforcement and training, and use calm and consistent communication to foster a sense of trust and security with your animals. With dogs in particular, You could choose to work together with a professional dog trainer or behaviorist, and they can help provide you with guidance on how to interact appropriately with other dogs and prevent that fear or anxiety, or if not prevent, maybe help to alleviate it if it's already there. Always remember that both dogs and cats have unique personalities, temperaments, and pasts. What might frighten one dog or cat may not affect another one in the same way. When we understand, when you understand your dogs and cats individual needs, provide a safe and enriched environment and use positive reinforcement based training methods, this is crucial for fostering a trusting and fear-free relationship with your feline and canine companions. And you can listen to the animal files and you'll get all of the information you need to know to make your life better with your animal. (laughs) (laughs) That's another way you could help your animal. Just listen to us. We'll help you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've talked about our pets having unconditional love, but just because our pets can still have unconditional love for us, they can still get stressed out by us. But we all have the opportunity to become more aware, more compassionate, and learn to understand our pets better. Yep. That's pretty much what it all boils down to. And if you become more aware and more compassionate and really intentionally try to understand your animal, your specific animal, not just cats in general or dogs in general, but your specific animal, you will promise Promise, promise, promise. You will help your dog feel less fear, feel less stress. You will help your cat feel less fear and feel less stressed. And you will have the relationship that that animal chose you for. Hmm. Because we have to remember that we don't choose our animals. There's something energetic going on. Because if you notice 
that there's an awful lot of people there that get the animal that is just exactly what they need at that moment. There's something there. And when you see that and when you feel that by having the awareness and the consciousness around that and feel the compassionate nature of these particular animals, all of this stuff is going to come easy and your training will actually speed up because you're going to want to serve the animal to the best of your ability. Like you're really going to want to give them the life that they deserve, but you got to get that ego out of the way. You got to stop thinking that all dogs are the same. You got to stop thinking that all cats are the same. You got to stop thinking that, oh, well, I have a cat. and I just let him do what it wants. All animals like predictability, like routine. I don't know how many times we can say that in this episode. Mm-hmm. I swear we've said it throughout the entire episode. It's what has woven through everything. Routine, predictability, boundaries. That's where they thrive because they know how to act. It allows them the ability to work with you on whatever may come up mm-hmm. because they trust you. They feel confident within their role in your family. Right. I want to add on a reminder as well to let go of the idea that your desires are more important than your animal's needs. You know, think about just relationships in general. If you're married, if all you think about is what you want and you don't care about what your spouse wants, how well is that relationship going to go? Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be some give and take. Yeah. It goes with all relationships, friend relationships, family relationships, coworker relationships, give and take two way street. It's the way it's always going to be. It's the way it has to be for success. You guys got this. I promise. If you feel like you are an untrained human, you can be trained very quickly and very easily. You just have to want to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions, guess what? You can email us (laughs) (laughs) at theanimalfilespodcast at gmail.com. We'll answer all your questions. We'll help you out. We will help guide you to the sources that you may need to train yourself for your animal's sake. And if you are on the socials, we're there too. Just look for the Animal Files official on Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're there. <laughs> We're there. You can reach out to us in that way if you choose. Or you can just go straight to our website, theanimalfilespodcast.com, and everything will be at your fingertips, including ways to support us, resources, social links, upcoming YouTube channel, emails right there. It's all there for you. Anything to add? I think you covered it all. Awesome. So thanks for joining us today and we'll see you guys next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.